As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I am Max Boltman, with me as always is Prashant Iyer, and with the Red Wings are a whole bunch of new guys, because Steve Eiserman signs five free agents uh, in the first weekend of free agency, uh, that in addition to bringing in Mark Stahl, and it's starting to look like a pretty different Red Wings group this coming season. Yeah, I mean, you really couldn't run it back, right, after you had a arguably the worst hockey team in the last 30 years. Uh, I don't think running it back was really an option for the Red Wings. And so, you know, as much as uh, I think the organization has kind of preached patience, building through the draft, et cetera, et cetera, it was clear that a lot of moves were going to need to be made this offseason. And Eiserman was not bashful in any way going out and getting five different guys, uh, you know, bringing in three different defensemen, couple forwards up front, bringing in a goaltender. Uh, so ultimately really rounding out uh, the Red Wings roster moving forward. Let's divide these up into a few categories here. Give me your best ad, your most surprising ad, and the one that you're most curious to see how it shakes things up or how it works out. So I think I'll start with the best ad. And I think in my opinion, the best ad was was Troy Stetcher, the defenseman from Vancouver. So undrafted guy, and surprisingly, you know, Vancouver didn't qualify him. Uh, just turned 26 a few months ago, and, you know, is a solid puck-moving defenseman. You know, he played, I think, pretty well for Vancouver this past year. Uh, you know, he didn't play a lot of special teams, but at 5-5, five and five, played with Alex Adler, played with Jordy Ben, was able to give them kind of good depth support. Um, no means a prolific scorer, but I mean, he very clearly seemed like a defenseman that was kind of stepping into his own. I think last season he was one of Vancouver's better defensemen, one of the better defensemen really uh, in the Western Conference that kind of flew under the radar. So I think it was a high quality pickup for the Wings to be able to land him at just 1.7 million. And not only that, only over two years. Uh, so again, you have a short term contract, uh, low cost. For a guy that seems to be stepping into his own and is going to get a little bit of a larger role here uh, in Detroit. So I think it's potentially um, the most impactful move for the Red Wings. I don't know what you think, Max. As for Stetcher or as for the best ad? I think the best ad. Yeah, I mean, Stetcher is a very good candidate. Um, I think Thomas Grice was a good one as well. Um, So if if we're going to have different answers, then that one might be mine. Um, They needed a goaltender. I mean, I I think you can make a case that 
um, Grice was one of the better goaltenders in kind of that tier that you were going to be able to find on, on a short-term contract. He is um, a, a obviously very experienced, but also on the older side of things. But I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing in, in his case. And, and he, he's had a couple of strong seasons the last two years with the Islanders. Some of that certainly you have to wonder how it is affected by playing with the Islanders. But in, in talking with his goalie coach, Adam Francilli, or, or his offseason coach, I should say, um, I, 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 I am kind of convinced that, that there's a good fit here that, you know, he, he obviously had good seasons before Lou Lam or, or uh, Barry Trotz got to, uh, New York as well. And so I'm, I'm not going to uh, sit here and say that I think he's like a Barry Trotz creation. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that was a, a maybe the best signing other, you know, I, I think Stetcher's a candidate too, but because it addressed such a clear need because they got one of the clear, better players in that tier on the market. Um, and because I think he'll form a really natural tandem with Jonathan Bernier, two guys that are very used to that role. And I'm sure both as competitors are going to want to start the majority of the games, but, um, I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of drama with those two. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Grace is a name I think you and I have been throwing out for months, really, yep. as a as a target for the Red Wings. And sure enough, you know, Eisman goes out and gets him. You know, I think there's a couple of ways to look at the Grace signing for me. I think one, obviously, I think he was one of the better goaltender candidates out there. You know, Max, like you highlighted, that there's you know some concern that uh, obviously playing behind that Barry Trot system that that really inflated his numbers and reduced the quality of chances he faced. I think. You could certainly make that case in 1819 when the Islanders were uh, arguably one of the top five defensive teams. They allowed, you know, some of the fewest quality shots against, and so they really made their goalies' life a lot easier. That being said, they weren't as sharp in 1920, and and he was still a kind of a net positive player. And even prior to Trotz being there, he was still a net positive player on a far worse, yeah. you know, Islanders defensive team. And so I think coming to a Detroit team that was just an absolute train wreck in their own zone. It won't be, you know, brand new information for Grice. This is a guy who played behind very bad Islanders teams for a very long time. Uh, so I think he is accustomed to it. He's the kind of goalie where I think, you know, you mentioned his offseason coach said he kind of handles it better when he's got more of a workload similar to what Bernier uh, kind of expressed throughout the season. So I really think this tandem is is going to be solid. I think the only downside you potentially say to Grice is, does he improve your goaltending so much that he actually marginally impacts the Red Wings draft position the following year? I think obviously you can't go in saying I want a repeat of the prior season because that's not going to do any good for player development while at the same time recognizing that you don't really want to push yourself out of the bottom five or six in the lottery uh, and kind of risk yourself uh, you know, falling down in this draft where the, the talent simply isn't as high end as it was this past year. And so Grice over Howard, I think, is arguably the most impactful addition subtraction maneuver, uh, maneuver the Wings did. You just almost have to wonder if it goes too far in the other direction. Well, let's let's transition off of that then to see the, the signing that you're most interesting, interested to see how it plays out. I think for me, the one that I'm most interested in seeing how it plays out is the Bobby Ryan deal. Uh, yeah. Bobby Ryan, obviously... You know, we know his pedigree. Red Wings fans who've been watching the team for more than a decade, they remember all the Red Wings Ducks series. And I remember playing against Anaheim so much when the Wings were in the Western Conference. And everyone, you know, you hated the Getzloff, you hated the the Corey Perrys, but you also recognized just the immense talent of Bobby Ryan. He was kind of the, the third guy behind those two. Just an incredibly gifted player, insane hands, still scored one of the best goals of the decade if you go up. Uh, you know, you go to YouTube and you're looking for a highlight and you look at Bobby Ryan's, uh, you know, one of his spinorama goals. I mean, the guy, insane talent, but obviously after getting dealt to Ottawa a few years back, you know, career got a little bit off track, obviously came out last year, you know, talking about his substance abuse issues, left the team for a period of time. And then when he came back, scored four goals in eight games, including that hat trick uh, in his second game back. So you, you almost were seeing flashes of that old Bobby Ryan, but we haven't seen that old Bobby Ryan in quite some time. The Bobby Ryan that was a 30-goal, 70-point scorer. I think now at you know 33 years of age, he's probably not getting back to those heights. But at the same time, he seems to have his life back on track. He seems to be enjoying himself. I mean, his press conference was hilarious. Uh, Unreal. You know, yeah. I mean, just, just a great press conference. I mean, I, I loved his 
you know, jab out there saying, you know, when I told my daughter that we get free Little Caesars pizza, like pepperoni pizza, she was in. So, you know, it just seems like this is a guy who's who's really committed to getting his hockey game back. And so this is the kind of move where you bring in this guy, again, pedigree of a 30-goal, 70-point season for $1 million on effectively a show-me contract. He's the guy that if he goes out and he just, you know, lights it up, puts up 20, 25 goals as you're heading into the, the trade deadline, and he's like, hey, I'd like to move to a contender, you might be able to net a significant asset from him uh, as a trade deadline rental. And so I really think he's a huge boomer bust and could be a big piece in, again, the Wings adding a few more things uh, moving forward. But that being said, he also seemed very interested in being in Detroit and maybe a guy that you're interested in hanging on to for the entire season just based on what he brings to your locker room. Yeah, I, I I think so too. And this would have been the one where I would have put for most surprising just because I don't know that I would have naturally paired these two as a fit. Um, you know, Ryan late in his career, maybe you figure he wants to go to a contender. But uh, I, I was really struck by and maybe what I thought was the, the most um, insightful part of that press conference, which on the whole was very good. I would I would definitely agree. Bobby Ryan uh, won the, the press conference wars here uh, from free agency. But he, he said he called Dylan Larkin to make sure that the team still had the competitive fight in it, right? That they the losing losing hadn't gotten to them. They weren't too bogged down to the point that, um, you know, it was just set in that you know, losing was, was going to be acceptable. Um, and, and so I think that's a fair reason to kind of wonder, would would they have made sense? I guess that kind of would have been um, a, or should have been a concern for any veteran on this team. And I, I think the fact that he went out of his way to call Dylan Larkin about that, um, that he asked that question and, and that that was a bottom line for him tells you basically everything you need to know about why this was a good fit for the Red Wings because I I know that people can groan sometimes when someone like me talks about culture or, or the importance of it in a locker room or or veteran presence whatever it may be whatever the, the language is um, I, I really do believe it it matters it just it just matters that you have it from players who who are also like real contributors right they don't have to be your star player by any means but um and, and you don't want to do it at the expense of of on nice ability, but um, I think Bobby Ryan gives you both. He's going to give you the the right shot that we know Steve Eisman was looking for. He's going to be a huge help on the power play, um, and and I think the fact that he wants to compete and that he came to Detroit to try and help them compete tells you basically everything you need to know about why I really like the signing. Yeah, and it, you know, it sort of looks a little bit similar to me, not to draw parallels, but a little bit about you know how Robin Leonard went through. Mm kind of his own personal struggles, his own personal battles, coming back from all of that, taking that one-year show-me deal, had an outstanding year, and was then, again, later on leveraged into being able to move into, you know, a bigger trade that netted some return. And so that's almost what I'm wondering, if you're going to see a similar situation play out where Bobby Ryan was looking for a team where he was going to get a lot of minutes. I mean, he's going to be a top-six winger. He's going to play on the first power play unit in all likelihood with that right-hand shot. And there's a solid chance that, you know, by virtue of playing on that power play with, you know, Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, et cetera, um, and playing in the top six, that he's a 20-goal, 25-goal scorer, and that makes a perfect rental at the trade deadline if that's what he's interested in. And so uh, I think this is a, a huge deal, not only for Bobby Ryan, but for the Wings to bring a guy with his pedigree into the locker room for a period of time and then potentially on his way out if he wants to go to a contender, uh, being able to bring back you know substantial assets for him as well. Let's talk about the other two signings then, Vladislav Nemesnikov and uh, John Merrill. Uh, Nemesnikov kind of caught me a little bit off guard. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to say, I don't want to say I thought they were done by the, by the, by the time Sunday rolled around, but um, I don't know that I was expecting, you know, them to be in on, on a player who I think can maybe play in their top six to start the year. Yeah, Nemestikov's a really interesting player because, again, you know, for Wings fans who've been watching the team for a period of time, he was a guy that flew a little bit under the radar in Tampa, uh, you know, when the Wings were meeting up with Tampa in the playoffs, uh, you know, back uh, at the end of their 25-year playoff run. And so, you know, he was a very talented player, I think, for the Lightning back then. I think, you know, he's sort of struggled a little bit since leaving Tampa. You know, he went to the Rangers uh, as a part of a deal in 1718 and then 
after the Rangers, you know, this past season, he played for three different teams going from, you know, New York to Ottawa to Colorado. And so I think he sort of struggled to, to find his footing on a single team. And as a result, I think his results have, have suffered a little bit. But, you know, once he got to Colorado, he sort of demonstrated that he was still able to score the puck for them. He scored four goals in the, in the final nine games of the regular season with Colorado and then scored four goals on their playoff run uh, as well. And so I think he's a guy that can still offer some some depth scoring for the Red Wings. I'm not necessarily convinced that he's a better fit at 2C than Sam Gagne. I think Gagne's maybe a little bit better defensively, a little bit better rounded out, um, in my opinion. And Nemesnikov really hasn't played center uh, in the last couple of years. New York didn't really use him as a center, so you're kind of dating him back to his Tampa years in 17-18 as really the last time he was genuinely deployed as a center. So, you know, you could certainly argue that he he deserves merit or contention for the 2C or even the 3C. You could also flex him onto the wing very easily because that's what he's been most familiar with over the last couple of years. Uh, As a left shot, you know, the wings can use some uh, left winger depth behind Tyler Bertuzzi as they're kind of pale there after Bertuzzi and Zadina. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's a little bit... um, Interesting to see where he'll fit in. I think part of the reason to go for that signing is uh, a little bit of what Eisman alluded to in that it sounds like what's being discussed is expanding the roster size for a potential upcoming season. And again, not knowing who's going to be ready, what level they're at, and what your roster size is going to be. It sounds like he just wants to have a lot of options available to him. And, and Nemesnikov's a guy that can slot all the way up from two through four in your lineup, I think. I do think he's going to be the 2C, and I think part of it is in the interest of making the right matchups, and, and so we'll, we'll come back and circle back on John Merrill because this is a good talking point. Um, they, they wanted to add right shot forwards, and they did that in Sam Ga- I mean, re-signing Sam Gagne and bringing in Bobby Ryan. I would be surprised if they then played those two together and the balance of the right-handed forwards then was really just restricted to kind of the one line, and I guess you get Luke Lindenning as well. Um, so unless basically, unless, uh, Bobby Ryan is on line three, Sam Gagne is on line two, I guess I'd be, I, what I'm saying is I'd be surprised to see Gagne playing with Ryan. I also wonder if Gagne actually ends up playing center. I mean, Steve Eiserman's talked about Gagne playing all three positions. He said the exact same thing about Nemesnikov. So I'm not putting one over the other there. Um, but I, I just wonder if maybe the, the best way that these lines get arranged isn't in, in a way that kind of divides up the right-handed shots a little bit. Um, and also, you know, keeps, you know, you got, you're going to have to have someone who can get Phillips Zadina the puck. So if, if Ryan is playing with, let's say, uh, Nemesnikov and Fabry, then you got Philpola and Gagne with Zadina that could work, or you could go Zadina, Ryan, Nemesnikov, you could go Zadina, Ryan, or sorry, Zadina, Fabry, Gagne. There's a lot of different combinations now that make this work. And if you figure that that top line is staying the same, I almost wonder if rather than a kind of top six, bottom six division this year, you kind of have top line, middle six division. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's the moral of the story for the Red Wings is now you're you're past the, what do I do if Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha can't score? Because you've now brought in a handful of guys over the trade deadline through free agency uh, that can give you that depth scoring. And, I, you know, we'll see how uh, Blaschel and Eiserman elect to kind of shuffle the deck chairs. I think, you know, the handedness piece is certainly one part of it. I think it gets overemphasized a little bit. Uh, I mean, the Wings have basically been trotting a lineup out with one right-hander for the last five years. So No, for you know, sure. I think- but I just mean if they're going to emphasize it in – in saying why they sign these players, like we have to assume they're going to, it's going to be a factor. I mean, to be quite honest, I think it's more from the power play standpoint. I think handedness is substantially more important on the power play because of the passing angles that you open up and the passing triangles that you're trying to set up. I think the geometry of your power play unit is substantially better when you have the ability to have right and left shots that can be mixed in to create the right angles on passing triangles I think at five on five, it really gets overemphasized. Um, and so I'm not sure that that's the angle. I think you definitely need them because, you know, from a right shot standpoint, that's why uh, you had Mike Green continuing to get trotted out there, despite the fact that he clearly wasn't the same player as years past. And, pre- um, you know, when you look at him this past season, he was still being trotted out there for that right shot. 
And so I think that's where the utility of those handedness is going to come into play. That being said, neither you nor I have any idea how they're going <laughs> to they're going to try and mix these guys up. But I think the moral of the story is you no longer have a what do I do behind Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha, and you finally have some talent that you can pair with Philip Zadina. He doesn't have to run with you know a Fabry Glendening tandem. Not to knock Fabry or Glendening, they just. I don't think they can elevate his game in the same way a Bobby Ryan can, in the same way that, you know, a Nemesnikov can pass the puck. Uh, I think that's those are dimensions the Wings just didn't have last year. Yeah, and I, I think that is the, the key takeaway, too, is at, at both position groups, at all three position groups, these are upgraded positions. And I, I certainly am not going to predict the Red Wings, you know, giant leap in the standings or anything this year. But I really think they're going to be a tougher team to play against. I think they're going to be um, a livelier team. And I think both of those are really good things, almost regardless of where it lands them in the standings, whether it's still 31st, whether it's 27th, whether it's 24th, whatever. I'm not going to predict that high a jump just because of how far back they were last year. But uh, as, as Mark Stahl said in, in a press conference today, you're never far away, as far away from winning as you think, and you're never far away from losing as you think. Certainly, I'm not predicting the Red Wings being close to, to winning on the, the playoff scale by any means yet. But in a given game, I think it's easy to underestimate the margins of, of how much better a team can get, how much more equipped a team can get to win games and, and do so semi-consistently. Um, I think it's easy to underestimate that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, that being said, you know, I think natural variance is going to suggest that sure. the Wings are probably, I wouldn't be shocked if they have a 40-point improvement. But remember, a 40-point improvement puts them at 79 points. Like, they're right. still nowhere near contending for the playoffs. I think, you know, more realistically, they're probably a, a, a 25 to 30-point jump. I think probably a 30-point jump, which puts them right around, you know, 26, 27th uh, in the league. But, you know, to your... To your point, Max, I mean, we're talking about a team that had a minus 122 goal differential in 71 games. I mean, they were almost losing their games by two goals every game. They were just not competitive in so many of them. So I think what you're going to see is even though there are still going to be a lot of losses, they're going to be closer losses. They're going to be competitive games. You're not going to see the kind of games we saw last year, the the massive loss to the Islanders, the 6-0 loss to the Leafs, the big loss to the Wild. You're not going to see those games as frequently, whereas it felt like you were seeing one of those every two weeks, uh, you know, with this team this past year. And so I think, you know, as much as the Wings did in free agency, it's still not putting them, you know, in the playoffs. It's not disrupting this whole build slowly plan, but it is going to make them more competitive on a night in and night out basis. To your point, the second worst goal differential in the NHL last year was the Ottawa Senators at minus 52. If this move just gets them back to the point where their goal differential is minus 50, which by the way, would still be the second worst in the league or maybe even the worst because if the Senators take any kind of step forward, whatever, uh, then that's still almost like, I mean, it is, it's more than double uh, an improvement. It's like, a, what do you call that? 200% improvement, 100% improvement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. literally what we're talking about. I mean, I said, you know, they're a 25, 30-point improvement team. You had 25 points to last year's team, and you finished two points ahead of Ottawa. Like, it's yeah. that that degree of improvement is to be expected from the Wings. You're going to see that just from the natural variance, the better goaltending, a little bit more steady presence on defense, a little bit more talent offensively. You're going to get that kind of improvement, but recognize that's not putting you anywhere near, you know, playoffs. So I think all of that talk could be tempered. You're still talking about, in all likelihood, a bottom five to seven team here. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna take a break in a quick minute here, but before we do, let's let's get to John Merrill. Uh, comes over from Vegas. This to me looks like kind of your classic shutdown defenseman profile here coming in with John Merrill, another guy who really kind of won the press conference on on day one. He's a local guy, uh, played in the Little Caesars program, has a lot of fond memories of the area. So so he brings that, which I know is, is very endearing to people. Um, but on the ice, I also think he's, he's going to give them a much better shot at suppressing chances than they had when their third pair was out on the ice last year. Yeah, I think Merrill's a, a good, steady, defensive defenseman to add. He's not going to add any sort of scoring whatsoever. I think you're simply bringing him in to basically play a role similar to what Patrick Nemeth did last year to be that steady presence on the back end or on the on the back end there. I mean, he's a he's a guy who played you know 
quite well for Vegas this past year. You know, he saw his role kind of get diminished a little bit. He was a healthy scratch for a little bit, didn't really play on their playoff rosters. So, you know, set your expectations appropriately. But coming to Detroit, being given a bigger opportunity, um, he may be able to flourish a little bit more. I think, you know, you may be able to hand him some more penalty killing time. I would expect to see him, you know, on Detroit's first or second penalty kill unit, uh, you know, playing those minutes and and getting uh, more minutes, frankly, than he's gotten in, in quite some time. So uh, I think he could be a real solid get, a real solid, you know, second pairing defenseman for Detroit this year. Yeah, I mean, on on the left side with Danny DeKaiser and Patrick Nemeth, it'll be interesting to see how they organize those, starting with the fact that, you know, it's not a 1000% set in stone guarantee that Danny DeKaiser will be fully healthy um, for this year. But I, I think, you know, you can probably play him in pretty similar situations to Nemeth. Probably makes those two fairly interchangeable depending on who you want with which partner. I have to imagine if DeKaiser's healthy, he's going to get the, the the big dog minutes on the left side. But but having any interchangeability, again, is just so huge. And he's going to help on the penalty kill, which I don't know how they'll play it out yet, obviously. But I have to think getting Philip Hironik just any time to breathe during a hockey game has to be a huge priority this coming season because he was playing in every situation and obviously that's one of the things you you have to like about Philip Peronik as a player but the minutes got to a point that I just don't know if that's sustainable this early in his career like 24 minutes a night in your first full season is just a massive massive ask and I wonder if you can unburden him just a little on the penalty kill which are some high stress minutes I wonder how much that can help him Yeah, I mean, that's what we talked about last year. You wrote an article about it. I mean, as the season went on, you saw him struggling to play at the same level. I think the minutes got to him. The losing, you know, got to him in that sense that there's just, it always felt like you had an avalanche of defending that you were having to deal with. And so, and we're talking about a guy that, you know, was playing barely second line minutes and, or second pairing minutes in 18, 19. And all of a sudden, he's playing kind of fringe top of the league minutes. Uh, oh, he's played number minutes. one I, minutes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's insane, uh, you know, how much he played last year. I think you you got to give him a breather. You got to give his body a breather. You know, maybe get him off the penalty kill. Allow him to use that great shot that he's got on the power play. And, and let him think more offensively, which is, uh, I think, the luxury of bringing in a guy like Merrill, having a guy like Nemeth and a guy like Kaiser. You've got some rock steady you know, defensive defenseman on your left side here. And so let Philip Ronick kind of go out, play a little bit more aggressively, play offensively, and get him out of some of the situations where he's just always defending. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, I will say I in my story, I, I pointed out that by Dom Luce, uh, Lucizen's game score value added metric, uh, would have rated higher than any Red Wings defenseman last year. Like, But I, I almost kind of regret the way I phrased it just because, you know, and I, I think I tried to, you know, allude to this as well, but v- playing for Vegas helps that. And so the thing I'm most curious about with John Merrill is he's not going to have anywhere near the possession beasts in front of him that he did in Vegas. But the the isolated impacts still do speak for themselves in the D zone. And I really do think um, when when John Merrill gets to Detroit, he's going to give them a, a much better look at clearing out the net. Maybe that works with Troy Stetcher. Maybe that works with Gustav Lindstrom or Alex Biega or Mark Stahl even. Um, but I, I think he's he's a nice get at a just, you know, bargain price at, at less than a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you'll see how it works. He's the classic guy sheltered on a good team. Let me take a flyer and see what it looks like in a bigger role. I mean, he played mostly third pairing minutes in Vegas. Great Vegas team. Numbers look great. Bring him out to Detroit and let's see what he does in a little bit bigger role. You're taking a very low risk here and you know, the upside is he he gives you some very valuable minutes and he flourishes and he, he shows you that he can play that level, uh, you know, in a different situation. Yeah, th- there's a universe here where this is how you just find a guy, right? Like you find a guy who was Vegas obviously has a very, very strong top four there, just got stronger with Alex Petrangelo. You bring in a guy who was not going to have the opportunity to really ascend much there, and, and you find out that you have you know a, a really solid uh, player and just just because you bring him over and take a flyer. They've only got him on a one year contract, but um, suffice to say that after how glowingly he talked about the area in his press conference, uh, if if he pans out well, I think the Red Wings are going to have more than every opportunity to to bring him back. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very different situation, but I'll make the comparison just because I can. Uh, you know, you look at Shea Theodore in Anaheim. Sure. The guy was, you know, as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old playing third-pairing minutes in Anaheim, gets plucked to go over to Vegas. Vegas drops him on second, first-pairing minutes, and now he's an absolute stud, and he's a first-pair defenseman for them. I don't think this – you're not talking about the same thing here with Merrill because, you know, Merrill's now 28 when Theodore was in that situation, he was 21. But all that being said, you know, that's that's kind of the move you're looking to make is pluck a guy who's, you know, doing well in the role he's given, give him a bigger role on a different team and see what it looks like. Yep, for sure. Okay, let's take a break and then we're going to talk about some of the other stuff from the last week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, so let's get back into this. There were a couple other newsy items or, or comments from Steve Eiserman that I want to get into before we transition into some of the prospects uh, over in Sweden, which um, may have to legally become – Detroit may legally have to become a satellite city of sooner or later here. Um, but Tyler Bertuzzi filing for arbitration. You had an interesting comment about one potential wrinkle of that. Uh, do you want to share that? Yeah, so you know, there's – a little kind of nugget in the CBA where effectively when a player files for arbitration, uh, it triggers a, another buyout window. And so the initial buyout window, there's a period that exists right after this, the playoffs conclude, usually a two-week period, teams can buy out a contract. Uh, so that period is closed. But when Tyler Bertuzzi filed for arbitration, it actually triggers another buyout period that will open 48 hours after the Red Wings settle the contract with Tyler Bertuzzi. And in that 48-hour period, the Wings have the ability to buy out a player that was one on their roster at the trade deadline as of last season. Um, This is just any player that they've got signed. Technically, it's reserve list, which just means anyone they hold the signing rates to. And then the second criterion that you have to meet is... The player's AAV or average annual value has to be greater than four million for the 2020 offseason. And so, in my mind, there is really only one player that satisfies that, and there's one player I'm struggling to find to put on the depth chart, and that's Franz Nielsen. And so, Franz Nielsen's got a 5.25 million cap hit for the next for this season, this coming season, and then the the season afterwards, so 21-22. And so, the Wings theoretically, after they sign. Bertuzzi in the following 48 hours could elect to buy out Franz Nielsen. If they bought out Franz Nielsen, they would actually save $1.8 million this season. They would save $833,000 the following season. And then the two years after his contract would have ended, the Wings would have a cap hit of $666,000, which is actually going to be about $100,000 below league minimum. Um, and they would have that on their contracts or on their uh, cap for 22-23 and 23-24. And so, you know, I almost wonder if this is just an additional opportunity for the Wings to, again, clear a roster spot, clear some cap space without having a significant, you know, cap hit attached moving forward. Um, so, again, that extra $1.8 million frees you up to do other deals, frees you up to get more money to Mantha or Bertuzzi, frees you up to... Keep that money moving forward because uh, it's the pandemic and, and the wings have, you know, taken some like all organizations have taken some money hits. And so, you know, I, I just I think it's an interesting move that could be considered as a result of uh, Bertuzzi filing for arbitration. 
It is an interesting wrinkle. I'm going to predict it doesn't happen just because I, I would kind of not understand why not just do it before Bertuzzi filed for arbitration. Um, I guess maybe you could make the argument they didn't know how many players they were going to be able to sign or something like that. That's plausible um, and in, in terms of just filling out a, a lineup that they were comfortable with. Um, I could buy that. I'm, I'm just going to predict it doesn't happen, but I also was wrong predicting that there was going to be no buyouts this offseason. So I guess take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because, you know, the natural question you have to ask yourself is, well, why wouldn't this have just happened, uh, you know, up front? And, you know, that that's a very fair question. Why wouldn't you have just done this up front? Because the buyout makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, I think, you know, Max, the logic you provide of, well, you don't know who you're going to sign and maybe you do have a roster spot. And then now after you've gone through free agency and you land five different guys, you're like, okay, yeah, I actually have the ability to buy them out. Um, I also don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's an interesting wrinkle that could be considered, uh, especially if the Wings are trying to, you know, save a little bit extra money um, this season and next year. I think it's a it's a unique opportunity for them to, to shed that salary, shed that contract as, you know, Nielsen's kind of gotten to the point uh, by the end of last season where he was just struggling to stay in the lineup. So that's in the realm of the hypothetical. Into the realm of the very relevant and, and very practical, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi will be headed for arbitration. I mean, in itself is a story. What do you see the outcome being here? And uh, what are the best and worst case scenarios from this point? Yeah, I think the outcome is I don't think anyone should panic. I think uh, the Wings will get a deal done well before uh, the hearing starts. And again, a new wrinkle for this year is previously you were allowed to negotiate with the player and come to an agreement all the way up until you got the arbiter's decision uh, for what the, the contract was going to be. So you could basically do this even after the hearing had started this season once the hearing has started, you cannot negotiate with the player. So you are now bound to whatever the arbiter is going to uh, hand out. So what I would expect is in the next 12 days, so Tyler Bertuzzi's hearing is going to be on October 25th, I would expect the Wings come to a three to four year deal with Tyler Bertuzzi um, with an average annual value of around 5.1 to 5.3 million uh, I'm going to give myself a little bit of wiggle room there. I think that's the deal you're going to see. I think Eisenman's going to recognize that as good as Bertuzzi's been, um, he's not necessarily on the same tier as Larkin and Mantha. He's going to want to keep that contract a little bit shorter. He's got the money. He'll give him a little bit extra uh, you know, dollars from maybe what would be predicted. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see somewhere around $5.3 million for four years uh, for Tyler Bertuzzi and that coming, you know, in the next 10 to 11 days. Is it a big problem if this ends up being decided at arbitration and it ends up being a one-year deal? You know, I think a lot of people think arbitration can be really bad and it's certainly a, a terrible process and I don't really know why it exists because effectively the team has to go in and, and lay out all the reasons why this player isn't worth any money um, to the player's face. And, and so, you know, sometimes it can, you know, uh, diminish relationships to a certain extent. I think we heard rumblings of that with Athanasiu's uh, restricted free agent, uh, you know, negotiations when he went to arbitration. I think we heard some, you know, rumblings of how far apart the two sides were. I think that's always uh, a little bit embarrassing for that to come out as well. With Bertuzzi, though, I think it's it's quite clear that the Wings value him as a part of the the franchise moving forward. He's not just a part of the short term. He's a part of, you know, in their mind, at least the midterm. And so I, I don't see this being bad, even if it goes to the hearing. And I think really in, in Bertuzzi's sense, you know, if he gets that one year deal and uh, elects to, you know, just show out in that time, then he's really earned himself, uh, you know, the money moving forward. And that could potentially be a, a, a fallback for the wings. I think from the wing standpoint, you're sort of betting on this may be peak Tyler Bertuzzi and that you don't necessarily see there being a tier above where he's at right now. And in that sense, you you sort of want to avoid paying him above, you know, for that tier that he may not necessarily reach. And if he does end up reaching it uh, on a one-year deal, then you may decide how sustainable is that and, and is it the time to move away. So whatever the outcome is, even if it gets to the hearing, I still think it's going to be an amicable relationship, and I still think the Wings are going to find a way uh, to get things done. But I think it's sort of how much 
more do you think Bertuzzi has in his game? Uh, to can he raise his game more to to merit that longer contract uh, or and that more money? And if not, the Wings kind of have to hold firm. I think the only bad outcome here for the Red Wings would be a two-year deal that would walk Bertuzzi to unrestricted free agency. Um, anything really on a one-year deal or even three or four years where you're buying a couple of UFA years um, and, and into your, you know, presumably into your contention window. Um, I think those are all okay outcomes or longer even. Yeah. I mean, I think all of that's fine. I think even if you're walking him to uh, unrestricted free agency, I think, again, it comes down to you're concerned about that if you think he's got a gear above where he's at. And, you know, in my personal opinion, I'm not certain that he has a gear above where he's at right now. I think he's a very good complementary player, but he's not necessarily a guy you construct a line around. He's not a guy that can carry a line by himself. And so with all of that being said, even if he hits, uh, you know, unrestricted free agency, I don't think he's necessarily in line for a massive pay raise in that sense where you're now going, oh, shoot. I'm going to lose this guy because he's now on a needs a massive deal and and I don't really have the means to be able to give it to him. I still think Bertuzzi's kind of effective range is going to be in that five to five and a half million dollar value in terms of what he brings to your team. He's not the guy that you're going to go six and above for uh, with the current cap where it's at, at least in my opinion. So I, I think in his case, it's not the worst thing if he does you know take a short deal and gets to unrestricted free agent. I think it's very different compared to Anthony Mantha doing that. And Iserman did say he plans to talk to Mantha's agent in the coming days, so it, it wouldn't really shock me if there's a resolution there um, relatively soon. I, I will say on Bertuzzi, I really believe that he is a playoff type of player who, whenever the Red Wings are good again, they're going to want him on their team. And, you know, I, I understand, like, regular season-wise, um, you know, he's, he's, he's not on that same quite, um, you know, high-end uh, level of, of a Larkin or a Mantha, but I think come playoff time, he's got kind of playoff. I don't want to say like Con Smythe, but just like one of those most valuable players on your team of a playoff run game and and potential. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And so I think it's interesting. You know, if it does get to the hearing, I think the other wrinkle to remember is so. You know, remember when you go to arbitration, it can either be player elected or club elected. You know, one of the unique aspects of arbitration is whichever party did not elect to go to arbitration, that party actually gets to decide the term of the contract. And so because Bertuzzi filed for arbitration, the wings would get to decide one or two years. So, you know, I think it'll also tell you a little bit more about how the wings feel about it. Even if it gets there, they could just say, we're going to go one year. And then the following year, it can only be a max of one year because now he's in his last year before of you know, those restricted free agent rights. And so you could subsequently say, we're going to do this twice and and do a one-year show me. So I think a two-year outcome is still even a little bit unlikely unless the Wings simply choose to pick that if it gets to the hearing. But all that being said, you know, I think it's it's all about how you protect Bertuzzi going forward. Uh, Does he have that gear above? Can he be that, you know, great complimentary player? Or is he a guy that, you know, needs that other talent around him. And therefore you think he's maybe a little bit more replaceable. Great point. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit directtv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional Sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, okay, so let's move along then into what the rest of the offseason may hold and then going into, up into training camp. Eisenman did not close the door on doing anything else, including uh, potentially a trade with a cap crunch team, which everyone uh, knows has been a, a big focal point of, of this podcast, of Eisenman's offseason messaging in general. Um And then, of course, he didn't even close the door to potentially signing another player. Um, But let's focus on the potential trades left out there. Really, I look at three, maybe four teams that still need to do something. Um, And those teams would be the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, they they did move Nate Schmidt. That alleviated their immediate uh, 
need to move somebody. The New York Islanders, who have Matt Barzell and Ryan Pulak to sign, they traded away a really good player in Devin Taves over the weekend. The Tampa Bay Lightning, who tried to get someone to just take Taylor Johnson for free and could not. And I think you could argue the St. Louis Blues need to do something too. Um, they still have Vince Dunn as a restricted free agent. Uh, after losing Petrangelo, you, you figure they're going to want to get him signed, but they have no space as of right now. Yeah, I mean, those are all teams where now, you know, if you're Steve Eiserman and you're shifting gears and saying, all right, I've got, you know, $18 million in cap space still, obviously notwithstanding signing uh, Bertuzzi, Mantha, and potentially Dim- Dimitro Timoshev as well. Um you know, you're going to make those phone calls and see what you can get. Uh, some of these teams have been in significant binds and have had to give up assets. You know, giving up a third round pick to get Nate Schmidt is kind of unheard of, given that Nate Schmidt's kind of played at uh, a first pairing level the last couple of years. Granted, his contract's not great and he's 30 years old. But, you know, that being said, being able to land that kind of talent immediately with a third round pick is is great. And that's because Vegas is squeezed. And so, you know, it really just sort of shifts the uh, the the onus onto Eisman to see what are teams willing to to do. I think you know he got a second round pick uh, for Mark Stahl. I think ideally, in a perfect world, you would want more than that for that five point seven million hit. And so, if you're going to talk to Vegas, see what picks you're able to get from Vegas, uh, and you know, go from there. I think another interesting team to negotiate with is Montreal, who's actually all the way up to the cap. Um, right now, cap friendly hasn't projected a zero cap space, and, and Montreal actually has 14 picks in 2021, and so they're almost an interesting team. Where if you know, are they prepared to pay 15 million in dollars in goaltending, or do they want to get out of mediocrity? You know, they picked up Jake Allen's contract from St. Louis. Is that a guy that uh, you know you swap Allen and, and you know somebody else uh, to see if you can? you know, take some money from Montreal and get them to throw a couple picks in there. So ultimately, that's the kind of deal that I think Eiserman needs to look for now. And it sounds like he's certainly going to explore, but uh, seems like there's a handful of teams out there and the markets may be shifting in his favor. Yeah. Uh, and I, I should add, I didn't uh, factor this in when I was highlighting St. Louis. They do have both Steen and Tarasenko on LTIR. So maybe they don't need to do anything quite so desperately. Although certainly you'd probably want to replace Tarasenko. So let's take them out of that conversation. But I, I see Tampa as maybe the most interesting team left. Um, Vegas is saying they're going to go into camp with Marc-Andre Fleury. I still think the Red Wings as an intermediary for a Fleury trade to Pittsburgh or something would make a whole lot of sense. But I don't know. I guess, I mean, they say they're going to keep Fleury. If that happens, then obviously that's that's not on the table. Um, but it just would surprise me after the way everything has transpired. Of course, the way everything has transpired has surprised me. So maybe that's not saying a whole lot. Um, Tampa Bay and the Islanders, to me, strike me as two big ones. Maybe Johnny Boychuk, uh, Andrew Ladd as two obvious contracts for them to move. And then, you know, Tyler Johnson, Yanni Gord. Um, you know, those continue to be the only two really that I could see making sense for Detroit to be involved in. But even then, both of those are pretty long contracts, and the Red Wings no longer really have that um, obvious need at center in, in terms of icing the lineup. So I have to think if if they're going to be in on any of those, the sweetener would have to be pretty compelling at this stage. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the Islanders, I think you bring up a great point. Johnny Boychuk's got to be the natural next guy to go. Although after moving, you know, Taves out, uh, which is just a huge shocker of a move for me. I was just, he was arguably their, their, their best defenseman next to, uh, you know, Ryan Pulak and Pelik up yeah. there. Uh, I mean, just a huge, huge shocker. But if they do end up moving Boychuk $6 million over the next two years, they have all their first-round picks. And to me, the Islanders are the perfect team to try and add a first-round pick in 2022. I think they're probably going to be fine in 2021. I think the talent level overall is lower than what, it, what we just saw in 2020. But 2022 is shaping up to be an absolutely special draft. There is a ton of talent at the top. If you get yourself in a situation like Colorado did when they got Ottawa's extra pick, if you get yourself in a situation where Ottawa get you know got San Jose's pick and they saw them bottom out, and now you have two lottery chances in the 2022 draft and you have a chance to do what Ottawa did, that is how you reset your rebuild immediately. That is the ultimate move. So if you're Detroit, you should be looking at teams that have their first-round pick in 2022 – 
that are at risk for falling off the face of being in playoff contention. So for me, that's really, I think the Islanders are a perfect candidate. St. Louis, if they need to make a move, is a perfect candidate. And then Winnipeg. Winnipeg and Nashville are two other teams where they have a lot of money tied up in high-dollar players. You look at Winnipeg, you've got Blake Wheeler, Kyle, Kyle Connor, Patrick Line, Paul Stastny, Mark Scheifele, and Nikolai Ehlers at all over $6 million. Uh, I mean, they've got just a lot of money. It's going to be hard for them to keep retooling. And next season, they've got Line as a restricted free agent. They've got Matthew Perot that they may try to re-sign. Um, you know, so they're a team that you're going to have to figure out what are you doing? And you've also got, you know, Hellebuck and Morrissey on long $6 million deals. So they are a absolutely another team that you call. And if they are in desperate moves to get out of mediocrity, because I really can't see them, you know, being significant playoff contenders. And I can't really see them being all the way down at the, you know, bottom of the league. If you're able to pry their first round pick out in 2022 in hopes of them trying to be, more aggressive, that's, again, the perfect kind of target. So I think Isles, Winnipeg, Nashville, those are the teams you want to get after uh, from a 2022 first-round pick standpoint. Nashville has more space than I realized. Uh, almost $13 million, I guess. The, well, when the you keep buying out players, right? You yeah, know, you can just right. uh, do that, but ultimately it ends up catching up to you in the long run. Right. Yeah, you still got to ice a roster. They're still going to need a few more players, four more players or so. Maybe they can get Tomasino to the NHL this year, but... Yeah, so I, I, but I agree. I think that's the the approach you, you have in mind. Which teams are are potential candidates for the the stark drop off pretty quickly? Um, obviously, with Chicago trading away uh, Brandon Saad, it looks like they're leaning into that a little bit potentially. Um, so they're not going to give up a first round pick or anything. I don't. Not that I think really, other than the Seabrook contract, which is its own whole episode worth of of discussion. Um, that there would have been anything there anyway, but. Yeah, I'm curious to see what Steve Eiserman does. I mean, that seems to be the the the, the next logical focus area. It has been a, a focus area already, and we'll see where it goes. The only other thing I want to talk about today was kind of the the roster shape up. We we talked a little bit about the potential line um, combinations and the flexibility that these free agent moves added. We haven't talked much yet about what it all means for some of these prospects. Yeah, I think. You know, it's important to first spell out, you know, how the loans are going to work. And so, you know, right now, I think the SHL and Liga, uh, the top leagues in Sweden and Finland, respectively, if you have been loaned to those leagues, uh, you cannot be recalled in season. That being said, remember that right now the NHL is tentatively targeting a, a January start if that happens. These league seasons will likely be done in April. So there is the potential to bring these guys back over midway through the season. Um, you know, so that's that is certainly a possibility, uh, but you will not be able to bring them back in season. So the guys affected really are just Joe Valeno and Moritz Sider. Um who, and and uh sorry, yeah, Jared McIsaac as well. So three guys um there. So don't expect to see Valeno Sider and McIsaac. I think really uh, realistically, we would have only expected Cider to be a significant factor in the NHL roster this year. Uh, so you'll have to wait until at least after the SHL season is done. But all the other players who are out on loan, Philip Zadina in the Czech League, Michael Rasmussen, who's in Austria, uh, Matthias Bromi, who's in the SHL but was not loaned there, was in the SHL previously, uh, Gustav Lindstrom, who's in all Svenskin, uh, those guys can all be recalled if needed. And so... I think it'll be a very interesting scenario where the wings can have some flexibility in deciding who are they going to bring back? Who are they going to leave where they're at? When do they bring some of these guys back? And, and ultimately we still don't even know what the roster size is going to be as Eiserman kind of speculated that the NHL is currently in talks about expanding the roster size, given the COVID-19 situation. And if guys, you know, if they become sick, heaven forbid, You've got the ability to still, you know, put a full lineup out there. So, uh, you know, it'll be very interesting uh, moving forward. Yeah, I, I think one of the main worries in the flurry of signings that I saw from fans was what does this mean for Evgeny Svechnikov? What does this mean for Denis Chalowski and Gustav Lindstrom? Who, as it stands now, if they're going to be in the lineup, would be both battling for one spot against also Mark Stahl and Alex Biega. Um 
I thought this, I, I asked Eisman about it basically. And, and he said, if the young players come into camp and show that they're ready to play in the NHL and that they're going to play, you know, a, a, a solid share of minutes in the NHL and not just be, you know, scratched or, or playing really low minutes to, to shelter them, um, then the roster is not set in stone. The quote was, wouldn't it be fantastic if a young guy just came in and simply too good to send to whether that be the American League, Europe, CHL, and he called it a fantastic problem to have. Um, that to me says that if someone does show up and, and really impress, um, it, I don't, it doesn't sound like it's going to be an inherent problem. Injuries are going to happen. Inevitably guys are going to get looks that way. Um, but if everyone does stay healthy, which should always be the, the kind of the, the operating assumption, it still doesn't sound like it's a, it's a set, uh, set and done blockade for any of those young guys. Obviously Svechnikov is, uh, a guy who I, I see this as a massive training camp, massive year for, for his career. Last year was kind of his first year back from that knee injury. This year could be a, a decision making year for him and on him. Yeah. And that's the nice, and that's really the beauty of, of the contracts that Eisman signed with all of these free agents is it is so flexible he has found a way to maximize this flexibility, whether there are guys that show out that you want to bring back, there's guys that aren't showing out that you want to leave in Europe, There's you've got rostered players who are on cheap deals that can be moved uh, if you want to pursue moving them. So there's a lot of flexibility built into the Wings' current cap structure and their current contract situation that really anything's on the table. And quite frankly, this isn't the worst thing in the world. This is, in fact, something I've been advocating for for probably 18 months, the ability to use the European leagues as development leagues. I think this is such a key thing because you get these players playing in leagues that are better than their junior leagues, better than the NCAA, you know, better than really anything other than the AHL. Um, And really, quite honestly, the SHL is right up there uh, in terms of quality. You're getting these guys playing there and you're also getting them playing with a different style of player a different system, uh, getting different mentorship. And so I really think that exposure is actually going to do a lot of good things for these players. And it's just not been something teams have been willing to do because of needing to loan them out for the whole year. I really think this is actually a kind of blessing in disguise for some of these guys. You know, you get a guy like Joe Valeno or Moritz Sider being able to play, uh, you know, in the SHL, that's a big step up. For them, obviously, Sider and Valeno being in the AHL last year may be more of a lateral move, but again, being able to go over there and play a different style of hockey where the AHL is a lot of chippy, gritty, you know, kind of that style of play. I think the SHL is a little bit more finesse and skill reliant, so you may see some more stuff come out uh, from them even there. Does Steve Eisenman need to put a phone call in to Rogla and ask them, please don't put Moritz on the ice when Jonathan Bergren is out there for Haleftia? I think just so Moritz Sider doesn't accidentally Scott Stevens or, you know, yeah. come after him in any sort of way, maybe maybe that's the best move because Jonathan Bergen right now is just he's just destroying the SHL. I mean, he's what, got points in all seven games so far, second in the league in scoring, uh just just having a monster, monster start to the year. It's been crazy. I mean, he's a guy who had twelve points in twenty four games before he got hurt. Last year, he's already got 11 in nine this year. Uh, sorry, 11 and seven this year. Wow, what a what a ridiculous start for him. Um, and the key going forward is just going to be: can he stay healthy? He's missed time in both of the last two seasons. Um, if he stays healthy, this is going to be the potential for a, a true breakout year for him. Um, but he's got to stay healthy. He is still on the smaller side. His skating looks very good. Um, obviously, a lot of assists, I think nine already in those 11 games. I think it's just going to all be keeping him healthy. Yeah, I mean, that's really going to be the name of the game for him. It's just, it's been ridiculous because the, the fascinating thing about this guy is he's still not playing that many minutes. He's right. playing maybe 10 minutes a night at even strength and getting another three minutes on the power play. So you're still talking of a guy who's playing sub 15 minutes a night that's scoring a point per game pace right now. Uh, and so I think, you know, if you look at him from his total ice time standpoint and the amount of points he scored, he's averaging like six points per 60 minutes. It's just a ridiculous scoring pace for what he's doing. So you're honestly hoping that he's they're kind of easing him in. They're letting him get his legs going. And if this is easing him in, 
then it really, uh, hopefully, once they start to open him up, you know, his last couple of games, he got, uh, you know, north of 15 minutes of ice time. Uh, I think that's going to be, you know, just great to watch for Red Wings fans because what you need, again, to get that rebuild going is you need one of those guys to exceed expectations. So getting a second-round pick in Berger and succeed, that's going to be huge. Yep, and if he keeps it up, then I think it's uh, he's one that I think suddenly becomes the kind of player you could say, does he potentially even have top six upside someday? And, and I think based on the skill and the skating, uh, I think you could say he does. Yeah, I think very clearly, you know, he's a guy you, you say right now, he's got top six upside. That's why you picked him back uh, in the second round. In fact, he was a guy that kind of slipped uh, yep. a little bit further than people thought he would. Um, I think partly due to his size, um, you know, but not being the biggest guy and kind of the way he was a little bit more of a perimeter player. But you know, if he's again able to consistently find the middle of the ice score at this level, uh, that top six upside is still there. We should probably just do a whole episode next week on the Red Wings prospects in Sweden because I'd love to run through them all right now, but we're already bumping up right up against an hour here. And I think we could probably do a solid 30 to 40 minutes on, on where everyone's at in Sweden. Um, so let's just plan on doing that. We'll, we'll regroup and we'll do a whole episode on Sweden soon. Um, but I think that should cover it today. Anything else you want to talk about before uh, we send everybody off? No, that's uh, that's it. Hope everybody uh, stays safe and continues to stay safe. Yeah, everybody uh, can exhale now after the frantic week of, of draft and free agency. But uh, keep checking. We'll, we'll, we'll have another episode for you sooner than later. And uh, take care. Take care.